Hey guys, I am here with Mike Chi of RetroTank. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me on board. Um, it's uh, really excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, before we start out, though, I do have two sincere apologies. Uh, first of all, I believe you sent me this over six months ago. And uh, the reason <laughs> I haven't looked at it till now is because I wanted to dedicate the time it deserved. I didn't want to just plug it in and say, yes, it worked. Uh, so thank you for being patient about that. I, you know, I have a few of your things here, and I really just I didn't want to even plug it in until I knew I'd have the time to go through it. So sorry for dragging it on. Yeah, no worries. Uh, it's the least I could do. You know, I think I mentioned this to you in a, in a first email. You, it was your YouTube videos and your website that actually got me figured out how the uh, how these Raspberry Pi hats work. So I owe you that much. Oh, wow. That's pretty awesome. Um, and the, the second apology is I think I've accidentally called you Mike Chang once or twice. <laughs> and it's not <laughs> just because I'm like a, an idiot white guy. It's uh, <laughs> I actually follow Mike Chang. He's the big jacked fitness dude. So it's, uh, you know, uh, my bad. <laughs> Jack Fitness, is that like a health thing? Yeah, he, I mean, uh, he figured out a way to burn fat and build muscle by doing things in a specific order that, uh, that you know, it's still really hard work, but it's a lot less than just doing the normal things. So you do workouts in a specific order a certain amount of times a week, uh, and then, you know, you eat a wide variety of food, but in this order and this, you know, uh, and it's, it really works. And the dude's got a chest out to here. He's just, uh, he's friends with Terry Crews, the other, you know, gigantic bodybuilder, scary guy. So it's, uh, yeah, although I don't look at, uh, I actually have a lot of friends that are into that stuff. So we, uh, his name comes up all the time in conversation. So that's why just Mike Chi, Mike Chang, very close. <laughs> Didn't even catch that. That's pretty funny. So. But yeah, so um, I mean, you have some pretty pretty cool stuff here. I mean, the um, you know the first one I saw was the component video board, which uh, which is really awesome because there are so many great CRTs out there that have component inputs. That when I plugged this in, it's like uh, an awesome little arcade experience, you know, right on a CRT with just this board. Um, and then you know you have all the way up. Uh, I think this is one of the first revisions. I believe you have even um, mm-hmm. uh, an even crazier one out there now, but. Uh, I guess, I mean, I just, I got to start from the beginning and how did you even learn how to design anything like this? Is this what you do for a living? Uh, yeah. Um, so I'm an electrical engineer by, uh, by trade. Um, what I did, I guess I I studied uh, double E an undergrad and then I went to grad school and then, um, most of what I do day to day is basically building bioamplifiers. My company builds a brainwave sensing headsets. So you put it on and uh, unlike what you would see in the hospital where they have a technician jill up each position, take 20 minutes to set up. It's a pain for the user, makes a mess. Um, the sensors we build are, um, are dry, which means all they need to do is touch the skin. So we build the headsets, the helmets, the sensor, uh, sensors, digitizers, wireless electronics for that. So a lot of, um, precision analog circuits, uh, video circuits are similar, but a bit different. Um, that's, so that's how I cut my teeth on electronics and I got back into the video gaming stuff cause I actually needed a hobby. Work was kind of driving me nuts. I was, you know, working 60 hours a week, going crazy. And like any good engineering nerd, you know, you relax by just doing more. <laughs> More of the same nerdy shit. Yeah. Exactly. No feeling. <laughs> yeah. So this is a no. I love it. This is pretty much what I do every day. That is very cool. The so the you got to tell me a little bit more about the bio helmets though, because those things. I mean, uh, I, those are always fascinating to me. I my old company did medical computers, so it's you know touchscreen computers for hospitals and stuff. But 
we were, it was basically every IT job I've ever had just way cooler. There was no yeah, there wasn't much other technology that I personally worked on. I got to see tons of awesome stuff, but not you know. Uh, not actually really play with their work on it. So what kind of brainwave scan stuff? Is it for people that have, like, tumors and they're trying to find the tumors? Is it for those things like, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't want to call it, like, a lie detector test, but when they try to track the brainwaves so they could see people's neural pathways, you hold up a picture of a cat and then those things pop up in your brain, so... Actually, I'm surprised you heard about that. That's one of the applications. Um, so we're working with a few groups that are doing some uh, some of this lie detector stuff. And um, one of the uh, one of the first one of our one of our users, um, the idea is uh, it's actually it's a pretty old idea, but I think it's pretty cool. So they flash a series of images. Let's say you have a criminal, right? They've committed a crime. Um, you flash a series of images, and if you have an image that only the criminal would know would know, um, that creates a very repeatable response called the P300. And it's involuntary. If you see it, you'll create this very re- repeatable response in the brainwave, and you can say, hey, this person has this knowledge within them. And if you can control the experiment such that only the criminal has this knowledge, then yes, you, uh, that, that'll, help, uh, that'll help with the, uh, with the case. Um, that's not used by the U.S. government, <laughs> as far as I'm aware of. It's still very experimental. Um, but I think uh, some people have been playing with this, and that's pretty cool. But as far as medical applications go, um, EEG, so what we do is EEG, electroencephalograms, and that's mm-hmm. mostly used for seizure detection and sleep staging. So if you have sleep problems, you go into a hospital, put the electrodes on the head, they tell you you're in wake, REM, stage one, stage two. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're trying to do is basically make all that process much simpler by giving people devices that they don't need a technician that they can do at home. That is killer. I've been through one of those sleep studies where they hook up all the masks and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, luckily the doctors there were very cool, which is not, not very common in my experience. But they basically said, like, well, let me guess. Everybody else in your life was telling you you have sleep problems because you drink and you're fat. I'm like, yeah, but I also sleep. I've slept the same since I was born, and I didn't always look like this. I was at 180 pounds for a while, a little too skinny for, for me. But, and he goes, yeah, you have, you know, you the, it's your breathing pathways. But, I mean, that was... Right. That was a night of really like the worst sleep of my life, getting hooked up to a million machines, and you know, it's uh, any any way to simplify that process would be awesome. It's getting better. The lie detector stuff really fascinates the shit out of me, though, because like uh, you know, I know we haven't even gotten into the. I'm already off topic, and we haven't even gotten your problems. But hopefully, I think people like to follow this stuff too. But there was a case a couple years ago of a guy um, who was basically just diagnosed with a severe case of OCD. Um, and, uh, like, I guess for lack of a better term, overactive imagination, they, they knew the right term. I just, I don't remember it, but I guess like he said, he kept seeing these visions of him like killing his wife or something. Um, and a couple therapists just were like, nope, fuck you. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going near this. Uh, and one guy actually brought him in and said, you know, well, I think I know what the problem is, but keep coming to me and I'm pretty sure you'll be fine. And he, they did things like, you know, the therapist had him hold a knife to his throat and, you know, then they had the wife come in, and the wife was like, yeah, he's not going to hurt me. Absolutely not. Do it. Knife it up. And they, they, they found out that he was just so obsessive that when they saw a really scary movie, right, when his brain was, like, in that overactive imagination thing, he fixated on that image subconsciously, and then just that's all he could see. So even though he was not violent and he had never hurt anybody, he just kept seeing images himself of himself like killing his wife. So what happens if that dude's wife gets stabbed on the way home and then they bring him in for this brain scan and he he really does see stuff like this. Like that's you know I know it's very minority report but yeah. that's, that's uh, I, I love shit like that. 
That's a good question. Well, the good news is at least um, uh, unlike uh, – there's a lot of fear in, in with this technology and hmm. thankfully EEG is pretty crappy. The signal-to-noise ratio is really low. So you're not going to be able to read people's thoughts. Um, <laughs> if we did, uh, our company probably be a lot bigger too <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and a lot scarier. But for some – a case like that, um, I, I think it really goes back to designing the experiment, right? Let's say the person's visualizing that they're going to kill – they've killed their wife over and over again, right? But – if someone else killed that person's wife, there's probably clues that are only specific to the case. For example, the murder weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure the guy didn't visualize the exact gun or knife or even method of killing, right? So you have to get all those variables controlled and deliver only the image that the criminal would know. And you have to be sure that only the criminal would know. Otherwise, you get right. all sorts of false positives. Even even things like if she was killed in the house, uh, like – you know, uh, where was the first stab wound? You know, like right. what hand were you holding the knife and things that, yeah, all right, that's awesome. See, I'm glad I brought that up then. So that's perfect. That That is really, I don't know, this stuff absolutely fascinates the shit out of me. So that's a great point. But yeah, I mean, I any kind of technology like this is always good and you're always going to have those crazy people, which is usually always like the same three groups going, no, this is the devil, we can't, you know, but... Um, overall, it's like, uh, yeah, any kind of progression with this stuff is great. And there's always way more positive outcome than negative with these things. Um, any kind of brain scans always result in uh, further progression towards things like Alzheimer's and even basic stuff. Even that, you know, all that, that same neuropathway things when they learn, like, you know, every time you put the picture of a cat in front, these things light up. Right, you know, all of that stuff is awesome. So, man, that's, that's cool that you get to work on something that's, uh, I'm sure work... Is intense and boring at sometimes, but at least you're working towards a really awesome project. Yeah, so I try to keep in mind. Most of the time, honestly, my job is uh, just doing paperwork, um, doing technical support, and uh, just trying to keep production going. It's nothing. It's all just the, the grind. <laughs> yeah, just like all the southern nerds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, what was the first video game related thing that you built? Was it actually one of these um, uh, Raspberry Pi products, or were you tinkering before that? Um, this is pretty much the first video game thing I, I built. Yeah. Um, you know, I hadn't p- played games for a long time, actually. You know, I had a Nintendo, Super Nintendo was really small. And then uh, over the years in college, I didn't really play, um, you know, on and off. I'd play some really big hits like I'll play Skyrim, right? That was the last real game I played. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the first chance I really got back to doing some of this hardcore retro stuff. Yeah, this is the first thing. That's pretty awesome. Now, um uh, did I get that right? Did you actually start with a component video version? Yes, I did. Um, you know, I read your website and I was looking at your videos. And I was like, hey, you know, the, there's these SCART options, right? The Europeans have SCART. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you can buy a PVM or BVM and uh, you could use the VGA and a sync combiner, right? Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, when I was young um, – we had TVs with component input, and that looked pretty good. That was a big deal here in the U.S. is, hey, you finally have component input, right, for the DVDs, and uh, it gave you great image quality. Like, there wasn't a good way to do it. Um, I was researching, you know, could you get a, a an adapter? So that's the first thing I tried. Of course, it scaled the image. It didn't look good. Uh, it was interlaced. And I was like, well, you know, if there's this v- these VGA adapters that give you RGB output at 15 kilohertz, and it's just a matter of building a really simple circuit to transcode that to um, to component video. And then I figured, well, if you have that, you can also get an NTSC encoder um, and get S-video and composite. Right. That's where it all began. I think that the big one yeah. over here is the S-video encoder, right? S-video exactly. En- yeah. Exactly. The big, uh, the AD8 to, uh, 
AD725. So like, well, you know, how can we get Raspberry Pi out to the TVs that we have here without spending a lot of money for a PVM or BVM and so get great, great quality? Yeah. Yeah. And, to, uh, you know, as much as I uh, I get a little crazy with wanting the you know, the best CRT I could find, um, it is something to keep in mind that basically an arcade monitor is just a really nice consumer grade TV. It's not as sharp as a PVM. So using, you know, using a consumer grade TV for arcade stuff um, is actually more of a, a accurate look of what you would be seeing in an arcade. So um, now your, your video deck here, it's an eight bit deck, right? So that doesn't just take the video pins um, and add basically just add some resistors like the, I have the VGA mod here, which is, you know, it's basically just a board with some resistors on it. Um, and, you know, it takes the video signal directly from the Raspberry Pi. So would you mind explaining a little bit about how yours differs? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, so the VGA 666 is pretty cool. I think that's how I started and how pretty much most of the hats are still based on. And it basically takes each of the bits. Uh, well, first of all, I'll take a step back. The Raspberry Pi is actually really neat. The one unique feature that it has that a lot of these other single board computers don't have is the ability to route the video output, uh, to route digital parallel video output to the GPIO pins. That makes things so much easier. Um, and I, as far as I know, the Pi is the only system that can do that. Hmm. So what the VGA 666 does is takes each of the pin, uh, each of those bits, and connects it to the resistor. So for example, the MSB uh, would have the biggest, uh, would have the lowest resistor, drives the most current, has the most influence in the output voltage, and each step down it's it's half the value so that's how you build a um a digital to analog converter binary using binary weighted resistors um the vga 666 does that with six bits and it's a pretty common technique for example i think that if you look at the schematic for the neo geo it does the exact same thing just uses resistors no chips super simple um super cheap i think it's pretty cool um i based that for the first device i did i took that idea and I was like, hey, you know, it actually has a 8-bit mode, which is true color. Um, gives gives you more colors. It might not matter as much for really simple games, but I wanted to build a hat that would work for videos as well mm-hmm. um, and, and and higher quality applications. So what I did was I, I took that, basically added more resistors, and I changed the architecture from what's called a binary weighted resistor, which you need basically a series of resistors, each double or half the previous value, to something called an R2R ladder. The advantage there is you only need two values. It doubles the amount of resistors, but it's much easier to build because you only need uh, 1x and 2x, mm-hmm. and that's much easier to match. So that's the first one. It was 8-bit R2R. That's a pretty pretty old-fashioned, pretty common way to build these things. The second version I did for the RGB and the current component hat is I just bought a analog devices or a basically commercial off-the-shelf video DAC. That's more of what your graphics card would use. Mm-hmm. Same idea. It takes the... Um, 8 bits, 8 bit of inputs from the Raspberry Pi and converts it into analog signal. The advantage of using the chip is that it's really well controlled, so you have you know the best possible accuracy if you really care about watching videos or Im- look at images with really high color um, precision. Hmm. So that's um, uh, is that what these three chips are right here then? Okay, um, that's the R two R resistor ladder. That's, that's the, the first R two R ladder, right? So what those chips do is it takes. It doesn't – the resistors don't connect direct, directly to the pins. The signals go to the, those chips. It's just a buffer and a latch. Gotcha. And it translates the um, the voltage from the Raspberry Pi to cleaned up voltage that's generated on the board internally. Okay. I mean uh, it's probably impossible to see, but those are some tiny-ass resistors right down here. And then <laughs> yeah. those are the three chips. So gotcha. Um, so uh, – 
I, in the limited testing that I've done between different RG, uh, Raspberry Pi boards, um, you know, I've done basic screenshots and stuff. I did notice a, a slight difference in the colors using yours. So that would be because it's the 8-bit color versus the 6? I think it would depend on what you're looking at. Um, when I did my tests uh, a few week a week ago, um, it was really easy to tell just on our gradient, right? If you do 0 to 255 um, on 6-bit mode, you'd definitely see banding. Um, whereas in 8-bit mode, your eyes usually most people's eyes can't see the difference. Uh, in the in the in the in the images you gave me, I think that could either be that or due to capture settings, um, because I saw some of the shades there as well. Now, um, I think I I mean I I make my capture setup as simple as possible on purpose. So it's basically a SCART device, or in this case, uh, in yours, it probably would have been a BNC to SCART cable uh, right. that I have. Um, through the OSSC in 5X mode, which in hindsight I probably should have used 4X for arcade stuff, but whatever, it just gives you a free extra little zoom there. Right, um, exactly. Into a Datapath Vision card, which has very little settings on it, and it saves in bitmap. Uh, you have to make sure that you save in RGB 8-bit mode, or else you get... I mean, it's very noticeable if you don't. You get the color compression that you would expect uh, when you don't. It's, it's, I think the default setting is like... 420 or something so it's a huge difference i mean you notice right away when you're you know right, right. Uh, and i think i just did the same for both but the only thing i can't know for sure is uh i think it was this the cable i used was one that i made myself a few years ago for testing so maybe it wasn't properly shielded or something but i i thought yours was a little uh, i mean when i say sharper i don't mean like the difference between a two chip and a one chip snes <laughs> but right. um it, it did seem a little bit sharper to me Right. And I think um, that's probably one of the advantages of having the uh, the integrated DAC. You were testing the BNC version, right? Yes. Um, I think, yeah, because the, um, the, B, the, the integrated DAC has really precise matching and it makes sure that all the signals propagate evenly, right? Because each of the bit lines may um, propagate at different speeds. What the, the chip does is it latches them, synchronized to the pixel clock. That might be due to it, but I think, you know, there's a chance it might still do, be due to capture settings. Yeah, I think definitely. really, I'm certainly yeah. not perfect on all this, yeah. but, um, so yeah, no, I'm not, not trying to blame you or anything, no, but no, I just, fine. It's all, as, as the engineer, it's always try to get to the root of the problem. Oh, oh hell just, yeah. And in fact, I wish I'm all often excited when it's something I did wrong. Cause it's very easy to, to go back and fix, but I think I probably skipped over a little bit here. So, um, what you have here is a full circuit with, you know, your chips and all of those resistors. And now on this version, the BNC version, it's also in, um, you know, it's also a full 8-bit, but this is all a, um, a DAC, right? This is not, um, uh, this, you know, everything's built into that IC, correct? That's right. So if you look at the other board and those three chips, right, with all those little resistors, basically it's all that rolled into that one chip. Pretty much the ha top third of that board goes into that little chip right there. Very, very cool. So now this one, um, this chip basically does essentially the same thing, right? It just does it all in the digital realm. Um, well, the uh, it does the. Uh, I guess the correct term would be it does it in the uh, in the integrated circuit, a single right. chip. Gotcha. Um, now, uh, so the, in the the testing that you've done with all of this, um, uh, I guess you have a Laka based image up on your website as well as RetroPie too. I think. That's right. Um, so what what have you seen as far as 
like uh, the code that you use, do you have to tell it? Is it still basically the VGA six 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 code in the command text, or is it um, like how do you approach the software side of things when talking to your boards? Um, that's actually really simple. Uh, one of the nice things about these Raspberry Pi um, distributions is they're actually all pretty similar, and and the way Raspberry Pi folks set it up makes it pretty easy to configure. So all you have to do is go into the config.txt, set the overlay from VGA six 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 to DPI twenty four which unlocks all the GPIO pins for the video output. And then there's one other line, um, I think display output format, you change that to 519, which then does the 24-bit versus 18-bit output. So that's pretty much it. And then from there on, you can use uh, my image, or you can take my image and um, change the settings to VGA666, which I've helped some people do. Mm -hmm. Or you can use like the Arcade Forge Pi Discard and modify their settings to uh, to the 24-bit mode and use theirs. So it's all pretty interchangeable, and it can be done with just a few tweaks. So um, have you done anything else on the software side to your images to, to tweak them and make them unique at all? Because I know um, like the guys from RGB Pi are trying to do everything in its exact uh, original resolution of the arcade game. Resolution, refresh rate, everything. Um, and that actually causes some issues with certain monitors and stuff. Um, how do you approach the software side for your images? That's a good question. Um, so I'm pretty much – there's two there's – two, um, there's two images. So for the RetroPie, which uh, is a little bit more, I haven't played with that as much uh, for for some for a variety of reasons. Uh, it uses kind of the the same approach that um, that this community has been developing, basically switching resolutions depending on the game, and that's pretty cool um, because you can get much closer to timing to the actual game. But it, like you said, it does cause compatibility problems, and it's honestly a nightmare to maintain. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> I think script. what happens is when you launch. Um, from whatever platform, Laka, RetroPie, I think, uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it actually basically telling the thing to reboot in that new resolution because you can't switch resolutions on the fly? So it boots into the emulator at that resolution and refresh rate, and then when you go back, it goes back into the other one? Exactly. I wouldn't say uh, so much as boot because the, system, the Raspberry Pi doesn't have to reboot from scratch, but it does reinitialize the video output um, to that new resolution back and forth, back and okay. forth. And you have to have a set of scripts to, you know, keep track of all the different mode lines for yeah. that. Um, so we, I had that, and I, I actually have to thank Mike Vencio. Um, he, he's a brilliant guy. I think he actually came up with all this, and he had the technique of actually reading the information from the uh, the main file or whatever, right? And oh automatically generating the correct screen rotation and the settings. So that was super cool, but it, it was complicated, <laughs> let me say. And as in any la lazy engineer, I hate, I hate things that are complicated. Um, so what I'm doing now, most, uh, mostly what I'm doing now is, uh, is, uh, is using Laka. That's what I recommend because Laka is much cleaner and simpler. Mm -hmm. um, although one of my, as one of my friends have pointed out, I think the latest version of RetroPie is a little bit less laggy. I'm hoping Laka will catch up on that. Um, soon, but in Laka, what I, in Laka, what I do is really simple. I just use a constant mode line of 2048 by 240, um, which fills up the entire screen. And because you have so many pixels going horizontally, you know, you can stretch, shift, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on the game, depending on how your screen is set up without needing to go to the service menu. If your screen's too wide, just shrink it. And since you have so many pixels, you can stretch the image as much as you want and it doesn't cause any problems. 
can't see the scaling artifacts. Gotcha. And of course, since your screen, your TV in 240p only has 240p pixels or so, or so you know that there's nothing to adjust there except for maybe the the offset. That's mm-hmm. pretty easy to to change too. So what I recommend is just using lock of the 2048 by 240, and you know you just. Sit, for, I, for each of the emulator, for each of the emulation cores, I go into the settings and I just address, adjust the crop and overscan settings so that it looks right. Interesting. Um, that's pretty much it. And the nice thing about Laka is because it has RGUI. Even though RGUI looks really ugly, you know you can scale and stretch it to your screen, and it works just fine. Uh, one of the problems with with uh, RetroPie is that it has emulation station as a front end. That's why another reason why you need all the re- uh, resolution switching. Um, yeah. So personally, I prefer Laka. Just it's just simpler, and I'm hoping they'll fix the the, the lag problem soon. Yeah. So overall, I really uh, is my favorite just because it, you you have everything right there at your fingertips, even right in the menus to make all the changes. And Wi-Fi has always worked with it, where some of the other ones it didn't even when they claimed it did. Um, and Wi-Fi is helpful, you know, especially if you, yeah, can't, exactly. you know, if you just want to dump a ROM or two. But the only issues that I have with that is uh, you can't jump by letter, I think, using just a basic arcade stick. Right. Uh, right. And if you can, I haven't turned on that setting yet or haven't figured it out. Whereas with the rest of them, Emulation Station, you just move it over to the right, and at the very least, you can go down a page at a time or something. Um but, you know, you can sort by by um, folder and all that stuff. Uh, but its handling of MAME files is strange. Uh, they very clearly prefer Final Burn Alpha over MAME. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever That's I right. put in, you know, MAME 2003 stuff, um, I have to manually go into the file system to launch it. It doesn't just scan and auto-show up. Um, when, have you done most of your testing in FBA then instead of me? Yeah, or? I have. Um, it seems to the it seems to scan and detect the uh, FBA ROMs pretty easily without yeah. any problem. Um, but you know, I actually, you know, the uh, one thing I, I want to kind of brush up on is I haven't done much arcade emulation. I'm more of an uh, SNES guy, mm-hmm. um, so I, unfortunately, I don't know as much about it. The only main ROM I actually tried was Mortal Kombat, and that was to see check out your settings from last week. Yeah. Yeah. See, I um, I, I kind of do approach this uh, emulation stuff a little differently. I do know the majority of the people that use these things use them for all consoles, or at the very least, all consoles that they don't own. Um, but for me personally, um, I I'm obsessed with the arcade emulation on these because you know once you've worked in any field as you know at, at any point of time, you can only see the mistakes, right? So if I were to just grab a, a SNES emulator and you know, something was off by a hair, or there was lag, or variable lag in certain parts or anything, it would just annoy me. I wouldn't even be able to play the game anymore. But I have no other option for arcade games, you know? I can't... I want to be able to play every arcade game that doesn't require a unique experience, like a special controller or a sit-down thing. So that's why I'm kind of... I'm all about these for arcade use, and that's my main... Focus, uh, and that's why I'm starting to talk to a lot more people who I guess are what you would call experts at um, uh, at arcade emulation and different platforms and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's always exciting to me to, to get any more info on that, just to try to get a, a better arcade experience through an emulator. You know? Yeah, you no, mean? that makes sense because you can't. I mean, there's arcades are pretty much the only system where it's really hard to actually get the system right. You have no choice, yeah. and. Uh, you can still play the originals for, for a lot of the other stuff. 
And it's going to be a serious issue forever because, you know, mm -hmm. if, uh, if FPGA programming becomes more mainstream and something that more people learn about, we'll start to see more, uh, you know, really accurate cores like Kevtris has been doing for every console. But it, it, I'm sure we'd eventually get that for things like the CPS2 arcade board, the Street Fighter 2 that, you know, it's the... Imagine a video game console for an arcade machine. It's, I'm being a little bit general, but you know you have you have the console, and then you could just stick in different games. So if somebody does an FPGA reverse engineer of that, then you get all of those games with it. And there's a few platforms like that, but a lot of these arcade boards really only supported a few games. So um, the only way to really play them, even you know. Uh, even with all that is emulation. So that's why I'm kind of just really excited about, about all the stuff like this. Um, so now you have uh, a few other models of these out at the moment as well, correct? Um, yeah, that's right. Um, since uh, in the, I think last month, I basically upgraded the component version and I tr almost unify the component RGB basically in, in a one. Um, you know, I've been, I got a lot of requests. Well, we, one board does component. One does RGB. I want to have both because, you know, I want to take my Pi to my consumer CRT. I want to play my PVM. I want to do it at the same time, right? So that's the the latest version where um, I take the integrated D to A and I combine it with a component output. And uh, so you get everything uh, everything all in one. You have VGA for RGB. Um, you have the so three you basically RCA have component. this, but then you would mm -hmm. add the chip. Um, it would probably be this one for uh, the component video output, right? Yeah, the big one on the corner. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You're you're right. The uh, yep. the component transcoder is a series of little chips, and then the RSD uh, composite and the S video is that big one. Gotcha. Uh, so I basically merged everything in one, and instead of the B and C, I have a VGA which saves space. You can get a VGA to B and C output pretty yes, simply. Definitely, and you could get custom uh, VGA to SCART cables made too from the the different manufacturers. Um, and your boards are stackable too, if I remember correctly, right? So if uh, even if you already had an older one, you could put one on top of the other and use them both. Um, most of them aren't stackable. Um, that's uh, that's a special custom custom order, and the reason for that is actually uh, is actually uh, due, due to, it's actually a pretty practical reason. I played with the stackable headers. I think one thing you'll see pretty quickly is that it's pretty fragile. Yeah, it's I I, I didn't like that. And the other thing is, um, you know. The, a lot of people wanted were interested in the stackable header because they wanted to connect other accessories to the uh, to the Pi, but then you know the video unfortunately takes all the pins, so that kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, yeah. So the stackable header was a, was a neat prototyping thing, and I use it for for testing. So I have one hat on the bottom that's known good, and why build things for production i plug in the i went under test for comparison but in, in terms of practical usage it's uh, it's uh, it's kind of more of a gimmick unfortunately gotcha. gotcha gotcha now have you thought of um of doing any like 3d printing to make your own case for these so that they're you know a little more secure and have like a neat a neat case around them um good question i got a, a lot of requests and um i think i might try to put together a kit of standoffs 3d printing a case is uh Unfortunately, 3D CAD is not my thing. Gotcha. <laughs> I have to learn that, and as soon as I learn that, I'm going to make a case. <laughs> well, maybe, uh, maybe uh, I'll I'll get in touch with Greg Collins, the guy that's been doing the um, uh, the GameCube 3D print designs, and uh, see if he's into this stuff. Maybe he'll whip one up. <laughs> yeah, uh, we got a lot of people here in my company that are really good at 3D CAD. It's the one thing that I, I just don't know how to do. Yeah. Um, so now th we had another conversation a while back that I absolutely wanted to pick your brain on. So sure. um, 
One of the issues with a lot of BVMs, most notoriously that uh, the A series with that BKM sixty eight X card, you know, the mm-hmm. fifteen hundred bucks for just the card, is uh, it doesn't know how to handle signals with missing horizontal sync slices. Right. So the Master System uh, and I think a few others, um, and I, I have another fourteen inch BVM that does the same thing. Uh, now, doesn't your new model, the one that combines uh, both, have something built in for that? Sorry, is there a noise? Uh, we're by uh, by an airbase. Give me one second. Okay. <laughs> I think it's gone now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's it. I think um, what I, I I did look into that. Uh, one of the effects I first noticed when I played with the uh, the old retro tank, the first the first one, mm-hmm. is you know you know you do the uh, the the sync shift on your BVM or PVM, right? You see the sync signals on the edge. I was like, hey, what's this wiggly thing, right? It's like, what's up with that yep. uh, when it goes after vertical sync? Um, and then I read your page. It's like, oh, it's the it's a problem because the horizontal syncs are off. The way that um, a lot of these boards and my board used to generate the vertical sync, which uh, which you know basically means that the sync pulse goes long for for. A, you know, for most of the scan line, and that triggers the hor- the monitor's um, vertical uh, ver- vertical sync uh, pulse, is by basically in- inverting the horizontal sync during the vertical sync period. Right, the horizontal sync is usually like this. If you go, if you make it go like this, right, effectively you have a long sync, and that triggers the monitor. But what the problem is, of course, it, sh- it shifts the phase, the the falling edge of the H sync, and that causes the PLL that controls the uh, the horizontal sync to go out of uh, out of whack. It right. takes a few scan lines to recover. Uh, most, uh, most consu- pretty much all consumer TVs, most PVMs and and BVMs can recover with that. But some of the really high end ones, it gives it indigestion. Um, I think some of the consoles have a similar problem. Or as you mentioned, they're just missing the sync pulses altogether. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I, I shouldn't be, you you know all this, right? You use VCR mode to to change the uh, time constant to to make that behave. But some of these monitors can't, right? Yeah, and you know, um, there's a, a lot of people that uh, that you know might not have followed that. That you know, so I don't mind explaining it again. I'm sure. Sure, you probably explain it much better than I can. <laughs> well, the 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 simple term is just that if you have a BVM, um, there's some some of them have something called VCR mode um, that's just designed uh, that's designed specifically for this, and they call it VCR mode because when you fast forward and rewind tapes, it screws up the sync. So by turning VCR mode on. It kind of ignores, uh, you know, those weird sync issues. Um, but a lot of uh, B- or the A series BVMs don't have a VCR mode, and some of the older ones don't as well. Um, but it's also an issue that manifests itself in different ways uh, on on some other displays. So you know, the the weird fixes I found is put it through an original GSCART switch to output TTL VGA, and then put that through an Xtron. There's one model, the 580XI. Uh, I'm looking up because I have one right up there, <laughs> and, uh, and that for whatever reason adds those back in. Um, other models of the Xtrons don't. But now your board, uh, your newer revision, that doesn't that actually have a chip to address that a little bit? Yeah, um, I I was actually um, this was due to a conversation with a uh, with a uh, with uh, with a. Uh, Another user of uh, that um, had a problem with BVM with a BVM, the same thing you described. And um, what it what the new board does is there's a microprocessor that takes the horizontal and vertical sync uh, signals, and during the uh, normal horizontal sync period, it just passes the uh, the H sync unmodified as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, during the V sync, when it detects that the V sync is active, it'll just Past the beginning of the horizontal sync, and then it'll just keep it going. It has an AND gate to just stretch that pulse, uh, and it knows how long to stretch it because it keeps measuring how the the the, the width of the uh, 
each scan line. So it, scan, it stretches it to most of the scan line and it releases it just before the next pulse. Gotcha. So that way you have the each of the falling edges of the H-sync is in the correct phase, but during the vertical sync period, you do have the long pulse to trigger your monitor. Uh, now, that's not exactly 100% kosher because you have to have the serrations in the lines before and after, um, but you know for 240p um, gaming, it, it doesn't really matter, and it, 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 makes, it makes sure the monitor stays in sync. Gotcha. Now, is this something that you generate based on the signal coming off the Pi, or would you ever be able to make just a little device and, you know, basically something like this, where one end is like SCART, and then you have, you know, RGBS or RGBHV on the other end, and um, powered, obviously. Uh, That way, you could actually have like a little SCART to BNC box that takes care of the sync. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, the one on the board uses the output from the from the Pi because it takes H and uh, H sync and V sync signals from the GPIO pins. But it certainly, be possible to make one that works with a uh, with a uh, with a more wider range of devices. You'd probably need something like a sync stripper um, that separates the sync if you're using C sync or if or if it's embedded in one one of the video signals. Mm-hmm. Output H and V, and then you'd have to have to sort of some sort of counter on your microprocessor. To, to see which scan line you are and you're on, measure the average scan line width, and then use the same technique. Just uh, regenerate the, uh, vert- uh, the horizontal syncs if you need to, stretch the pulse, make sure everything stays in sync. But I mean, I think it'd be a little bit more complicated than what I'm doing now, but I think it's doable and it'd be pretty cool. Yeah, if that's something you're interested in, maybe I'll get uh, we'll start a poll to see how many people would be interested. Not an official pre-order; I wouldn't want to put that pressure on yeah, anybody. But no maybe worries. just like a poll or something, because I have a feeling. Well, I know for a fact everybody that owns, you know, all seven people that own the BKM sixty-eight X card would buy one without a shadow of a doubt. But I do, I do think that um, with more knowledge coming out of what sync is, what voltages over video lines are. If there's a device that's out there that um, that could take the signal that's coming in and make sure that it's the proper signal going out, um, that, you know, would you be able to build in, Is and maybe this isn't even possible, I am not an EE, I just, you know, play one on TV, but uh, is there a way to actually use some kind of uh, safety checking to make sure that the voltage coming in um, won't exceed a certain amount on the way out? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think maybe even more simpler than that, um, you could probably just use a sync cleaner. Of course, you know, there's other sync. There's LM1881 or something, right? And you could just take the sync in and just regenerate the output and make sure that's compliant. So that that's certainly possible. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's um, – because there's a lot of uh, SCART to BNC solutions out there. Um, and in many cases, the passive ones are fine, right? Like if you have, mm-hmm. you know, if you know for a fact you're using a Super Nintendo, you have a properly attenuated cable, you get the caps in there, you plug it in, it's it's flawless. There's no, there's no nothing else that you could do to that signal that would make it better. But with stuff like the Master System, or just with people that uh, innocently just buy a cable off of eBay, and uh, you know, the, some something shows up from Hong Kong that you plug it in, and you know, you're sending five volts down uh, down the sync line you know having something that has protection built in would certainly be would helpful for everybody you know just kind of a device that like buy this don't worry anymore just plug everything in <laughs> yeah certainly uh, and you know i've played around with the idea of just building better uh, video just analog video transcoders right uh, vga to component component to vga you know back and forth and just making sure that all the signal voltages are correct um, and that's kind of been in the the back of my mind for some time yeah, there's a there was a bunch of people out there trying to do RGB to component conversion, um, and I don't think, uh, respectfully, I don't think a lot of them understood 
all of the aspects into it. Uh, and the only person at the moment I know of, and uh, that I would think knows uh, yeah, more than everybody else, would Steve from HD Retrovision. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he being a true nerd would be the first person to be like, no, I don't know much. I just, I know what I've learned. Like, you, <laughs> he's not the type to be like, I know everything. But he, right. the the way he designed his, their cables are just, um, it, it takes everything 10 steps further everybody else did. And they do have the advantage of, of making them within the box of, you know, Super Nintendo revisions, Genesis revisions, whereas your generic SCART to uh, component would be, you know, you, you there's a 10,000 different combinations of what could be going in there. So I get it. But I think a lot of people are basically just using conversion chips and then adding, uh, adding resistors just to change up the voltage and stuff. But uh, I, th- I think there's certainly a need for a lot of these products that are specifically built for retro gaming that are available. Mm-hmm. You know, like the um, uh, digital makes a great box. Uh, the spider is, the, is what it says on it. I forgot the actual nickname, but it could basically go component to either RGB or VGA or back the other direction. Jose mm-hmm. from My Fix Retro is the one that first uh, let me borrow one of those, and I, of course, had to buy it. But I don't think they make them anymore. <laughs> So yeah, right. here's a device where I've, I got to actually meet Michael from Key Digital once at a trade show. And, you know, smart dude, everything works as good as you could expect, but you can't find him anymore. <laughs> so anytime anybody else is willing to do the, the work, um, you know, uh, definitely with gaming in mind, I, I would r- much rather buy something uh, made like that than a generic device. So. Right. Right. And I think uh, there's a lot of quirks in, in these consoles that I think uh, make make getting these details right, um, especially if you're playing like like we talked about on a high end monitor that expects things in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, so these details, I think, do matter a lot. And I'm glad that, you know, there there's enough nerds out there to keep hammering out way, away at this. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, do you have uh, other projects that you want to talk about? I'm not sure if you want to you know, make so- any of this other stuff public or not, but do you have any other versions of the RetroTink coming out? Do you have other products that, uh, that you know, uh, you yeah. want to discuss? Sure thing. And, uh, you know, this, none of this is super secret or anything. This is pretty much – I do this for fun, and uh, it's it, it's a it, – you know, I, I like talking about it. So the, it, it's, this is all good, all fun stuff. Yeah, the only reason um, I always ask that is not, not so much to keep things a secret, but I just yeah. don't want somebody mentioning like, yeah, I'm going to have, you know, the flux capacitor version of this. <laughs> and then you know it's not going to be ready till next year, and then you're going to get a 1,000 emails between now and next year. So I yeah. just want to make sure that uh, I don't put any pressure up here. But yeah, proceed. Uh, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. So I mean there's um, – there's, I'm always just – when I'm bored, I'm just thinking stuff up. Most, I'd say, 95% of the uh, of them are crap. But um, there's a few things that I've been I've been just chipping away at. Um, the first thing I think I, I showed it to you was a uh, was what sh- will will be a low cost line doubler. So it's not an OSSD com- uh, you know competitor, not even close, right? Um, that thing is is pretty freaking amazing. Um, but I was just thinking, you know, hey, you know, if you have like a, a Super Nintendo console or an old console, you don't even have anything but the stock cables right let's mm-hmm. say you have s video or you have an nes you don't have it modded yet and all you have is composite and you plug it into your tv if it still has composite it looks like crap um you know we, we all know this it's mm-hmm. like i was like how do you build a a processor that just guarantees good output from 240p to 480p because you know once you're in 480p um it's much easier for your display to handle you get much less lag even though the scaling may not Maybe a bit blurry, right? At least it's fast, and and at least it knows hear. it's a progressive image because exactly so many TVs detect 240p as if it was 480i. So. 
exactly exactly um so i'm pretty close to actually finishing uh, finishing that device it takes s video component and composite you plug it in 240p it spits you for a uh, 480p out and it's actually um the nice thing about the chip i was playing with is it's going going back to sync it's sync tolerant so i know that um for example the snes causes problems sometimes with these uh, with these scalers mm-hmm. uh, the nice thing about the chip i use is it's designed for sh- for really crappy stuff like vcrs um so it cleans up the sync regenerates a stable image and shoots it back out 480p so that's something i've been playing with and the idea again is not really to compete with the ossc or frame meister which i think is a completely different league it's just to have a lower cost option that's better than the 20 20 chinese things you buy right yeah, uh, to be honest, in- I have a pretty strong opinion about that. As long as it's not in the same price point as those, uh, I feel like something like that is like um, a really necessary device, I guess, because the the biggest option people have now is that GBS uh, scaler. It's basically RGB to VGA, but that right. treats 240p as 480i. Um, you know, and it's this, this kind of board you have to make custom cables for and everything if you want to do RGB and stuff like that. So it's a uh, to have an inexpensive solution, meaning you know, not the two, three, four hundred bucks of the the Framemeister and OSSC, um, I think that would be something that people would really appreciate and benefit from. Yeah, so um, keep in uh, so keep uh, so keep that uh, uh, so that's one thing I've been keeping in mind and trying to get that done uh, as soon as I get some time. Um, it seems to work pretty well. You know, the only thing that's a, that I, I'm not quite happy with, I'm not sure if there's a solution. Well, there's a few things. There's, as an engineer, there's always things that you're not happy with, right? I was hoping to get scanline generation working, but that messed up the HDMI output. So no scanlines. But I think at 480p, scanlines are going to be pretty ugly because, you know, you're, you're throwing away half your pixels. Gotcha. Um, whereas the nice thing about the OSSC, your 5X or 4X mode, you just do every few scan lines looks a lot better and the other thing i didn't really like is that you know it's not at 480p it's not as sharp as you know four line 5x right right because there's just not enough pixels to go around mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i think otherwise it works pretty well and i think i hope to get that done soon um, now do you have a, a kind of sort of estimate for the price point on it um i need to do the costing and the, the challenge with this with this, uh, with this, uh, with this market, as you probably know, is you know, when you're building so few of these, you know, it just gets expensive because the pr- setup costs, Completely the parts you buy, you don't get price breaks, right? Um, but uh, well under a hundred dollars is, is my target. Oh well, see, that's that was going to be my next question. Uh, is is just you know under two hundred, uh, trying to aim for under a hundred. So if you're saying you're uh, aiming for under a hundred, I think that's a that's a good thing to have. Now you said um, composite S video and um, component component. Um, for people that have RF only consoles, you, would you just get one of those cheap RF to composite boxes? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know those are as as basic as you get, and you could still find them everywhere really cheap. So, right. I mean, that is a valid concern because if you're just looking for a quick, I don't want to mod anything, you know, Atari, Coleco, and television. There, there's a bunch that are RF only. So valid exactly. question. <laughs> um, yeah. And then for what about people that would just want line double RGB? Would you, uh, you know, would you say just get a component converter or would you maybe make composite a sync so you could do RGBS or something? Yeah, I'd say get a component converter. Um, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, it, I didn't leave out RGB by choice. It just the, the, the IC I'm using can't process RGB. It's it's for consumer applications. I was lucky to get one with a with component input and still handle uh, 240p correctly. 
Um, so that that was that was the limitation. I'd so I'd say you know get an HD retrovision or an RGB to component. Um, you know, in general, I guess my philosophy I've been designing for is uh, you know just uh, I've been designing things for the NTSC North American you know type market mm-hmm. where we don't have SCART or RGB. I'm just trying to get the best we can given the displays we have and the cables we have. Um, trying to keep things simple, um, as simple as possible. Yeah, makes sense. And I mean, uh, with all due respect, this product wouldn't be designed for people that want RGB into a PVM. This is something exactly. to make things easier for everybody else. So exactly. it's not, you know, it's not right. under the the umbrella of this. But I, I just, I knew people were going to ask the question, so I wanted to beat them to it. <laughs> um, yeah, no. and it's HDMI out only, not VGA as well. Uh, HDMI output. Um, I might. Uh, I guess the next revision. I'm hoping to have a VGA output. And the nice thing about VGA is because you can intercept the analog signal and you can generate scan lines. It actually looks. I I did that, uh, and it looks pretty good on a um, on a VGA monitor. That's an, another option. I think that's a bit underutilized. You know, get a nice VGA monitor, generate, uh, run it at 480p, generate scan lines. It's. I mean, it's. I wouldn't say it's as good as a BVM. But in some ways, it, you know, you get like 80% of the way there at a, at a tenth, at a one, one hundredth of the cost, right? Yeah, uh, that's exactly it. And I know a lot of people that do fighting tournaments and stuff, and they'll take like an N64 uh, and they'll do RGB to um, to VGA conversion. So just a basic line double. Um, even I've seen even uh, people use the OSSC for this. And then there's actually a really great uh, Tendac, I think is the brand. Uh, it's like a $20 VGA uh, or HDMI to VGA converter, and they'll use that to go into a VGA monitor. So yeah, that's a lot of expensive equipment, but um, at the end of the day, the whole goal is to buy a cheap, you know, like an old Dell CRT for five bucks at a thrift store, get a bunch of those, and now you have a zero lag CRT experience that's a, a much better quality picture than like composite into an old consumer grade TV. Right, so. right, right, yeah. Yeah, um, I guess other stuff I've been playing with. Uh, I was trying to, f- I forgot. Oh, the other thing I've been uh, I've been noodling with is a uh, is an HDMI version of basically the RetroTink um, HDMI guaranteed output at 240p with uh, you know correct timing uh, component RGB composite and S video, and uh, that's that's been going pretty slow. These HDMI chips aren't the most fun to play with. <laughs> Right. Uh, so, uh, what would what would be the difference between just getting like uh, the HDMI that's that's built into this? Um, you can't just use like a certain a certain code to get true 240p out of that. Um, I think you can. The problem is a lot of the uh, the the HDMI adapters uh, don't really. Okay. So let me take a step back. I think you can actually do that with a uh, with a HDMI to VGA. Those tend to be pretty well behaved. I think the issue with the HDMI to a component, especially HDMI to S video or composite, is it scales. It's expecting you to feed it 800 by 600 or a, a computer resolution. It downscales and shoots it out. So it's like DTV versus Visa resolutions. Yeah, yeah. So the idea is um, basically build a device that guarant- that is able to. And the, the other problem is a lot of times these adapters don't like these weird the weird timings that are the 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 emulation um, setups mm. use. 480p, 2048 by 240, right? It's expecting standard computer resolutions, and sometimes it just doesn't give you an output. So I'm trying to build something that is tolerant to all these weird resolutions, just like the the hat, Mm -hmm. um, but through HDMI. Idea there isn't really for the pies, more as much as for the people building, uh, you know, a PC MAME setup. 
Because gotcha. I get a lot of requests for that. It's like, hey, this thing's cool, and but the Pi's underpowered. I, I want a PC setup. I'm like, well, no solution for you, at least for me. <laughs> yeah. So um, when you say HDMI, then you don't. It, would it actually be a hat with HDMI output, or are you talking about um, taking HDMI out of this and then loop it through something else? Oh no, just it would be an HDMI going direct, uh, HDMI plug going directly to the HDMI in of the Pi or your computer. Sorry, HDMI out of your Pi or your video card. Oh. Then breaking into a little dongle with all these analog video outputs. That is that is my confusion. I thought you meant you were making yeah. an HDMI hat like that. So right. okay, that that explains it. Yeah, because in my testing, uh, I I mean it's you just have the code and you could do HDMI to VGA for like 240p or 480p, but I've never gotten it to work for components. So yeah, that's. That would be great because, like you said, that would work for uh, P- uh, any PCs as well. Because I think a lot of the ATI video cards that are compatible with CRT MU driver, the latest ones are HDMI only. So then yeah, that would be right, a solution, right. I guess. So. And um, the promising thing that I've played with is uh, I looked in the CRT EMU driver just uh, one night, and I think I have two video cards on my computer. I have a, I have a, I have a. Um, I have an NVIDIA, um, some sort of quadro, really old quadro, and then a, um, a ATI card. Both are digital only, but I think you can actually get the pixel. You can do 240p as long as your horizontal resolution is, lo- is is wide enough so that it's within its pixel clock range. And I think the challenge is just building adapter that doesn't complain if you give it weird resolutions. And I think that's possible because all, at, H, at, the, at its core, all HDMI is just a way to convert that parallel digital output into a serial stream. And at the receiver end, just convert it back to that parallel video output. Um, you kind of need something that's really stupid and doesn't do any processing. Um, and I think uh, once I get that up, it should be should be pretty easy. Very cool. Yeah. So man, you're really just, uh, you're running the gamut here for all these different solutions. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, so obviously your website is retrotink.com and you're also mm-hmm. retrotink on YouTube, right? That's right. Well, I think am I retrotink or Mike Chi? I might be Mike Chi. Oof, I can't remember. <laughs> I just have it saved. I'm subscribed, so I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> you know, if you think about it, once you subscribe and you get the pop-ups, you don't even care what the channel's called anymore. <laughs> exactly. Um, and are you on social media or anything? Um, I'm on Facebook, but I'm not very active. Um, you know, yeah. I, I'm kind of old school, actually. You know, I, this uh, maybe I'm getting too old, but yeah, I don't have much of a social media presence. I don't have a Twitter account. Yeah, um, I, I'm yeah. not really into it, but uh, I I do post on Twitter often just to because that seems to be where a lot of the tech people like to go, and uh, because also I think the the limited character amount means you don't get like, yeah, you know your right. 20 page Facebook posts. So. But yeah, just want to – so then uh, everybody just check out your website and your YouTube page for videos yeah. on the stuff. And uh, I'm pretty active on YouTube, um, so any messages I, I read. Yep. Um, I will be having a Raspberry Pi video, but it's going to be more of like a solutions video than a quality video because most of the solutions are pretty darn identical in quality. Like, you know, I have um, Arcade Forge's solution here, which is great. And then I have one of the VGAs, and the output video output's identical, you know. And I, I mean yeah. that in a good way. It's not like you know, not a bad thing. But uh, so I'm going to concentrate on the different solutions. But I'm very excited to show all of these too. You know, it's you got everybody covered. You got you know a great consumer grade TV. You just throw that right in with component. You know, crazy people with the BVMs and PVMs like me. You get this one. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. thanks, and you know, please keep doing this because I'm a big fan of your work, and I know a lot of other people are. 
Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I really appreciate the work you've done. I think, you know, you helped me get started and probably not the only one that you've helped. <laughs> Thanks, man. By far. <laughs> All right. Well, leave your comments down below and I'll see you guys next time. Thank you.